The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. All right, we're continuing on in the book of Philippians uh, this morning. Last week we talked about how uh, the key to unity within the church is an other's first lifestyle. Uh, The way that we can maintain unity within the church is by living this lifestyle where our focus is not on ourselves, but on others, others first. And we talked about how Jesus is the model for living others first. If we want to see what it looks like to really live out this others first lifestyle, then we look to the life of Jesus. We look to how he uh, lived his life. And we learn that he modeled that by sacrificing his rights, by serving the unworthy, and by submitting to the Father's will, um, that he was obedient even to the point of, a de- of death on a cross. So in our text this morning, Paul, Paul zooms in on that last idea of obedience. He really kind of focuses in on obedience. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Why, why is that the case? We talked last week about uh, nominal obedience is disobedience. When we pick and choose the things that we want to be obedient to, in reality, we're being disobedient. Why, why can't we just pick, pick and choose what parts of God's words we want to obey? Why, why is that such a big deal? Isn't, isn't some obedience better than no obedience? Well, here's why. Obedience is a product of genuine faith. If I trust God, then I'll submit to his will even when I don't understand it or even when I disagree with it. Right? If, I, if I truly trust that God is who he says he is, if, the, if there's faith in that, then the product of that faith is obedience. So the inverse is true. My disobedience is the result of a lack of faith. This is why it's such a big deal, because what, what leads to our salvation? It's our faith, right? It's faith that restores our relationship with God. Romans 1.5 says this, through him... We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. And once we come to know Christ, once we put our faith in him, the product of that faith is that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us and starts to work out this process of sanctification where as we grow in our walk, as we grow in our faith, God changes our heart and makes us look different. Our, uh, our obedience looks different. So when our faith is genuine, obedience will be the result. This is why we can't just pick and choose what we want to obey, because when we choose disobedience, it's, a, it's because of lack of faith. When I was a kid, I remember this one instance where my dad had, we had two big, huge oak trees in our front yard. And dad went and he trimmed all of those trees and just dropped them in the front yard. And it looked like this giant forest in our front yard. I mean, just big, huge limbs everywhere. And so then he goes in and he cuts them all up into small pieces. And I was probably 11, maybe 12 years old. And he's like, all right, your job is to get all that cleaned up and move it to the road. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, that's a lot of work. And I remember, like, doing a little bit and getting most of the big stuff moved and being like, all right, I'm done. I go play with my friends. And then he'd come find me and be like, you're not done. Look, there's still stuff everywhere. I'm like, man, that's just a little, that's just a bunch of little stuff. Just mow over it. And he's like, nope, you need to, your job is to clean it up. And I remember getting so angry with him. Like, 
are you serious? Like, this is, this is a lot, and I'm by myself. What are you doing? He's like, I did all the cutting. You do the cleaning. And so I go back out there, and I start cleaning it up again. And again, I think I'm done. I go kind of venture off and start playing with my friends again. Next thing I know, he's hollering me back. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This is ridiculous. This is child abuse. And I go back, and again, he's like, this is still not cleaned up. And man, just this, this perpetual thing where, he, where I'm trying to get away with not doing a good job, and he is very much trying to make sure that I do a good job. And I remember in the moment, like, I totally didn't get it. I was, I was angry about it. I obeyed because my dad was terrifying. Uh, I obeyed because I was, I was scared that he would, he would spank me. I knew he would spank me if I didn't do what he told me to do. Uh, but at the same time, I questioned his motives. I, I questioned his, his love. I thought really that he was just being a jerk and trying to ruin my day. If you if you're, remember when you're a kid, you may remember having thoughts like that about your parents too when they told you to do things and gave you chores or you know, we're, we're trying to make you do things. You, you may remember thinking, man, this is, this is not cool. My, he's just trying to ruin my fun. But now that I'm older, in hindsight, I can see that he was just trying to develop work ethic and character. And, and I can appreciate that now as an adult. I, I can see that there was a reason behind it. I feel like a lot of times we do the same thing with God. We, we question his knowledge we question his motive. We question his love. And because of that distrust, we disobey and do things our own way. And that, that's where all of this comes from. The disobedience in our walk is directly res, a, a direct result of our lack of faith that God is who he says he is and that his way is better. And so if our salvation is by faith, then how can we proclaim to be Christ followers and still choose disobedience. There's a point where you have to decide what you believe in. Right? Do you, do you really believe in all of this Christian stuff? Do you really believe that God's word is inerrant, that, that God is in control of all things? Or is it just some thing that you grew up with and that you acknowledge on Sunday mornings? Is this, is this real to us or is it not? Uh, there is a war for our devotion, right? The Spirit of God lives inside of the heart of the believers and he is pushing us towards intimacy with Father. He is pushing us towards obedience and yet there's this flesh, there's, there's this pull from Satan that's drawing us away, trying to distract us with the things of this world. I, uh, I've got this thing that I always mess with people about who are really big country music fans. Some of you are big country music fans. Most people in here, right? Good old Southeast Texas. I like country music too, but there's this like country music theology. Like if you listen to, to country music, it's like these country music artists are trying to give us theology. Like, uh, there's songs that talk a lot about partying on Saturday and then going to church on Sunday, right? Um, I was listening to a song the other day on the radio about uh, something about, you know, if, if heaven is without you, then I don't want it, basically, right? That, that yeah, when I listened to it, I was like, <laughs> it's like cringy. 
but, but there is this level of, of culture trying to steer us away from the truths of God's word. If, if we're not careful, we'll fall for stupid stuff like that, right? That, that, that there's this idea that you can live like hell on Saturday and they come to church and, and God's okay with that. That obeying God on Sunday morning by going to church is good enough to put you in right standing with him. No, that's not how this works. Scripture tells us that it's our faith that saves us, and the result of our faith is obedience. Not obedience on Sunday morning, but obedience throughout our entire lives. And it's important that we understand this, because there's this constant war for our affections. We have a culture that defines love as feeling and emotion. We have a culture that teaches self over others. We have a culture that teaches happiness over self-control. You've, you've got to ask yourself this question, is God real? You have to come to that, own, that conclusion yourself. You have to, in your own mind, in your own heart, decide if this is real. This is a question we really have to wrestle with because if he is, there is no room for nominal obedience. If he's real, we choose his way over the ways of the culture. If he's real, we must surrender to him completely. If he's real, then despite what we want or what we understand, we submit to his word. Listen to me this morning. Your logic and your heart are prone to wander away from the things of God. I think it's important that we all acknowledge that because a lot of people find themselves stepping into some really serious moral failures and then they question, how could I ever have made that decision? But if we start with the understanding that our hearts are sinful and that our affections are sinful and the things that we want really are going to draw us away from God, our logic is flawed, then our understanding and our desire to know God more through his scriptures, it, it changes the relationship with this book, right? If, you, if you're like, well, you know, I'm just going to go by how I feel or what I think, and that's all I can really do. That's what the culture teaches you to do, but your logic is flawed. You are a broken human being. This is why we need this so much, because this tells us who God is. This tells us what his expectations are. This is why this is so important, because in the midst of flawed logic, in the midst of uh, deviated affections, I have this, this book that I can tether myself to and I can find what God wants and I can stick to this even though I don't understand it. Even though I want something else, I'm going to obey it because this is what God says to obey. So in our text, Paul addresses what biblical obedience really looks like. So let's, let's read this together. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, therefore, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you in the same way you should also be glad and rejoice with me. 
All right, so our time together this morning, we're going to break this down and uh, figure out what Paul is saying about obedience. So first off, he's saying that obedience is not dependent on circumstance. Obedience is not dependent on circumstance. Look at verse 12. Just as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, parents, we understand this, right? At our house, we, we have pretty strict rules. We're pretty strict on our kids. There's too many of them not to be. So, we, we have uh, a lot of rules. Uh, we make our kids do a lot of chores. Uh, I don't make them pick up a billion limbs in the yard, but I do... <laughs> I do make them do uh, a lot of chores. They do dishes, they do laundry, they clean their rooms. Um, and we have high expectations for things like grades and behavior. If they get in trouble at school, it's a bad day for them. Um, we have bedtime, roughly. I mean, about nine o'clock, they know that's, that's time for them to be in bed. But when grandparents are watching them, it's like the rules go out the window, right? Yeah, they spend a week. They spend a week with them grandparents, and uh, it's it's like they they've got to be retrained when they get home. And so the kids they're using circumstance as an opportunity to deviate from what they know to be the rule, right? Like curfew. My parents will come to our house, watch the kids on a school night, and we'll get home ten thirty at night, and they're still partying like crazy. Like you guys are supposed to be in bed at nine, and uh, and they know that but they use circumstance as an opportunity to deviate from what they know to be the rule. Obedience is not dependent on circumstance. You don't get to use circumstance as your reason for disobedience. You can't say, well, man, we're just really busy, or it's just who I am. I've had a really bad week. I don't have any support. No, obedience is not dependent on circumstance. So what circumstances does Paul mention here? First, he talks about time. The Philippians, they had a reputation for obedience. So they had a good starting point, right? Paul's saying, keep on keeping on. Don't stop. I've met a lot of people over the years who will say, man, I just, I used to be real involved in church. Or I used to really, I was really sold out to that Jesus stuff. So the response to that is, what changed? What changed? If obedience is directly related to faith, then why would we stop obeying? Why would time have anything to do with our obedience? Obedience, it's, it's not some jacket that we can put on and take off whenever it's, it's convenient for us. Because obedience is a product of our faith, it's part of our life forever. It's not like there's seasons of our life where we get to be like, I'm going to obey God now, and then I'm going to not obey him here, and then I'm going to obey him here. That's not how this works. If we're truly obedient, then we're going to be obedient forever because, again, obedience is directly related to our faith in who God is. Galatians 6, 9, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. We'll reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Don't give up on obedience because real faith endures to the end. This idea of endurance is all over Scripture. Mark 13, 13. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Revelation 2, 2 through 3. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance. 
and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you've found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. Luke 21, 19, by your endurance, gain your lives. Obedience is not dependent on time because it's a product of genuine faith. Enduring obedience is a sign that we're really saved. If we're truly saved, Scripture teaches that the product of that salvation, of a genuine transformation, is that we will endure to the end. Another thing he talks about is people. Not only is obedience not dependent on time, it's not dependent on people either. Paul's saying, look, whether I'm there to encourage you and keep you accountable, or if I'm not, keep on keeping on. Our faith shouldn't be built on a specific person or a leader or a pastor. Our faith is in Jesus. So regardless of who the person that led you to Christ was and what their life looks like, regardless of what your spouse looks like, regardless of what anyone in your life looks like, that none of that is an excuse for you not to follow in obedience. Accountability is an important part of the Christian walk. We talk about that all the, t- all the time. It's important to have people in your life to keep you on track. That being said, when your accountability isn't present, that's not an excuse to disobey. Just because there's no accountability in your life, that's not an excuse for you to deviate from what God's word teaches us. Paul says, you work out your own salvation. You have to be responsible for you. Not only that, but you work it out with fear and trembling. What does that mean? It means that our motivation for obedience isn't someone else. It's it's that we understand the severity of our disobedience and uh, the depths of which God hates it. Right? When we're working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, it's that we understand that sin is this horrible thing that draws us away from God, and we hate that. We want nothing to do with it because we want to honor God with our life. We love God. We want to honor him. And so sin and disobedience are no longer trivial things in our life. Right? If you've truly been changed by the gospel, you've been made enlightened to the truth of this, uh, th- this gospel that we say we believe in, when, when that happens in our life, then sin is no longer some trivial thing. It's not some thing that we joke about. It's not some passing thing that is not a big deal. Sin is huge because we recognize how much God hates it. It means we don't go through life unconcerned about our disobedience and sin. So how often do you think about your disobedience? Not based on your own standards, but based on the standards God lays out in Scripture. How often do we think about that? How how often are we bothered by the fact that we deviate from God's plan for our life, that we deviate from his word? Are we bothered by that? So many professing Christians seem so nonchalant about their sin. They live absent of concern for their choices. The consequence of sin is death. Right? Wages of sin is death. It's important that we understand that. You choose to commit adultery, whether physically or digitally through your iPhone, the consequence is death. You choose to lie or manipulate a situation so you can get ahead, the consequence is death. 
you choose to invest your life in yourself and your kids rather than the glory of God, the consequence is death. If we understood that reality, and if we really believe texts like 1 John 2, 3, where it says, this is how we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If we got that, if we truly understood that reality, we would be diligent to ensure that our faith is genuine and evidenced by our obedience. If you really got this, like if you really believe this, a lot of people want to paint Jesus in this fairy tale picture of like he just, just loves everybody and there's no condemnation. That's true for people who surrender their life to Christ. Like what happens when Jesus encounters sinners in the Bible? Yeah, he loves them, he shows them mercy, but he doesn't leave them where they're at. He says, go and sin no more. Because the gospel is real. And the Holy Spirit is real. And when that comes in and changes you, you can't be left in your disobedience. You're going to be changed through the power of the gospels. I think a lot of people are quick to assume the love of God and discard the wrath of God. The scripture is clear. Obedience is a product of genuine faith. And so if there's no obedience, there is no faith. If there's no faith, there's no salvation. If there's no salvation, then the wrath of God will be poured out for eternity on your soul. That's what the Bible teaches. Paul's saying, work that out yourself. Don't let your obedience be dependent on someone else. Don't let it be dependent on circumstances. There's no excuses. Endure despite the circumstances of life. Next, obedience is not self-produced. Verse 13, he says, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. There's nothing worse than someone taking credit for your work. Have you ever had a boss that you tell this idea to and then he goes to his boss and he's like, I got this great idea. And then he shares your idea and gets credit for it. That right there will make you want to punch someone in the face, right? That will get your blood boiling. That will make you like maybe sin a little bit, right? Like that gets you, that gets you stressed out. We can't take credit for our obedience. Scripture tells us to live a life of obedience, but at the same time, you can't take credit for that. Ezekiel 36, 27, I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Our desire to obey God is a gift from God. We know that we're accountable to our choices, but at the same time, it's God who gives us the ability and desire to obey. If you're a new creation, then God, it's God that has changed your heart. He has changed your affections. Our ability to pursue righteousness is not something that we can take credit for. This is completely a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Some translations may say helper. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. But I know that keeping my commands isn't something you can do in your own strength, so I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending you a counselor to enable you to 
actually follow in obedience. Our desire for obedience is a work of God in our lives. Without him, there would be no pursuit of, of obedience. There'd be no desire in our life for obedience. This is a gift that God gives us. If disobedience produces death, how great a gift is the ability to obey. What a wonderful gift that God gives us. Where would we, where would we be without this? Next, obedience is not ritualistic. He says, verse 14, do everything without grumbling and arguing. When I was cleaning up that yard, I did it because I didn't want my dad to beat me. Not because I trusted that he was trying to help me grow up. I I grumbled and complained the entire time. I mumbled all kinds of negative things about him while I cleaned up. Not when he was there to hear it, but behind his back. He's not here today, so I can say that. Paul says, don't just obey, but obey for the right reasons. Obey because you genuinely believe that God's way is better. Obey because your faith convinces you to obey. This really elevates what obedience is because it makes it clear that people can look like good people. They they can do all the stuff and still be disobedient. Right? We meet people all the time, and, and, and you're like, that's a good guy. That, that's, that, that dude's a good dude. But he can be totally separated from God because just being good means nothing. Right? Being good means nothing. They can be morally upright yet still have sinful hearts. Right? The Pharisees are a perfect example of this in Scripture. It's not enough just to check the box of obedience. Paul says, do it with the right attitude. Do it without grumbling. Do it without fighting over it. Psalm 119.10. This is an awesome passage of Scripture. It says, I've sought you with all of my heart. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. And what if we looked at God's word like this? How many times people have this different approach to God's word? Many people have this moralistic view of God's word. Like, all right, let me just go read through this, find all the rules, and if I live by all the rules, then I'm good. I just want to make sure that I follow all the rules. I want to follow all the rules. I want to follow all the rules. That's not the relationship that we should have with God's word. It should be a a recognition that we understand that this is what brings us life. That, That... God's word, his, his statutes, his precepts, those are there to bring you life, to bring you fulfillment, right? If, if sin brings death, then obedience brings life. And to obey, you have to know what his word says. That's why it's so important that we spend time in the word. Instead of viewing it as something that leads to loss, what if we viewed it as something to be gained? So many people have this view of God's word. It's like, man, there's just all these rules. If I, if I do that, then I'm going to have to give this up. I'm going to have to give this up. I'm going to have to give that up. 
No, it's not, it's not what this looks like. It's that you gain life when you live according to God's word. When we get that, there will be no grumbling. It won't be like, man, this is such a hard life to live. This Christian life is so hard. It won't be like that. It'll be like, man, this is life. This is where life is found. We delight in obedience because we genuinely believe God's commands bring joy and life. The next point we have is obedience is not normal. Look at verse 15. It says, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Several years ago, Beck and I went on a little anniversary trip and uh, I rented her book to this like really fancy room in Houston, uh, like five-star hotel. And uh, we booked that, made a reservation. It's a really high-end steakhouse. It was like one night. That was all I could afford at a place like this. So, we did, we did it up real good for one night. That was it. Uh, but we stuck, uh, stuck out like, like a sore thumb in this crowd. We come rolling up in a minivan. There's like five Lamborghinis in the line in front of us. We come up in the Toyota minivan. All these dudes are getting out of their Lamborghinis and their Mercedes and their BMWs and like suits and like really expensive clothes. I've got like camo cargo shorts. that had like holes, like the bottom part was starting to like hair from the top part, flip-flops, and a youth ministry t-shirt, because that's all the t-shirts I have in my drawers. I get out, and it's valet only, and so I got to toss the keys to this valet to a minivan. I get out. I've got a camo, like, duffel bag, and I'm walking to this place like high-class redneck, and I'm, I'm sticking out like crazy. And we go to the steak place, and there's a uh, like I said, there's, there's like Lamborghinis parked in the, in, in the parking lot and all these people like, it was way too expensive too. And it wasn't even that good. I was like, we're gonna have to go to like McDonald's or something after this because it was like this much food, you know. Uh, we, we, we stuck out like crazy. It was obvious that we were not part of that crowd. Why do we be- obey with the right attitude? It's so that we can stand out in this crooked and perverted generation. (laughs) There's no denying that we live in a crooked and perverted generation. And and let me tell you, that's nothing new. We we have had the privilege of living in an American society where there's there's been this like moralistic ideals going on for, for many years. And so we've kind of been like spoiled a little bit to that reality. But as far as world standards go, crooked and perverted generation has been going on since the beginning, right? This, this isn't something new. We as believers should stand out in a crooked and perverted generation. Notice the contrast. He's contrasting the children of God who are faultless with a crooked and perverted generation. He's saying that we should stick out like stars in a black sky. Ever gone outside? In a place like in the country, and looked out in the black sky, and you see just little white dots everywhere, and they stick out like crazy. 
That's what we as believers should be. In a dark, crooked generation, we as believers should be different. What stands out in this generation? Remaining faithful to the spouse of your youth until you both die. Living an others first lifestyle. Forgiving those that offend you. Being diligent and hardworking as though you're working for the Lord. Actively trying to proclaim the gospel. Living in unnatural unity. These are all things that God commands his people to do. And when we do them, we're making it evident that there's something different about us. There's something different about us. Jesus taught the same idea of Matthew 5 verse 14. He says, you're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand and gives it light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Jesus is saying that we should be a light in this dark world. Our obedience should be radical. It should stand out. Do you know that 65% of Americans profess to be Christians? That number is steadily declining, but 65% of Americans claim to be Christians. What if 65% of the U.S. were faithful to their spouse? What if 65% of the U.S. didn't engage in pornography? What if 65% of the U.S. didn't watch or listen to the sinful junk or music and our music and movie industries are putting out? What if 65% of the U.S. actually evangelized? The landscape of America and the world would be radically different. If, if 65% of people are really saying they're Christians, if that were true, the world we live in would be radically different. It would affect industries. Hollywood would look totally different. All of the, 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 the stuff that we're seeing in the news and all of the stuff that we're seeing in culture would be radically different because the gospel changes lives. 65%, there's no way. There's no way that that's real. 65% of people may profess to be Christians, but the reality is, if there's no obedience, there's no Christian. That's just how it is. That's what the Word teaches us. You're where you're at for a purpose. You're here in Nederland, Texas. You work at the place that you work at. You're in the family that you're in. All of that's for a reason. To live a radically different life than the culture so that you can profess Christ. That's what this is all about. This obedience has a purpose. It's so that people can see that the gospel is real, that it really changed your life. When we live so contrary to the, God, to the culture, it's like a, a star shining in the bright sky. It gives testimony to the power of the gospel. So is it obvious that you're, you're a follower of Jesus? Do you stick out at work? Do people at work know that you're a believer by how you speak and how you live your life? Do people in the baseball fields know that you're a Christian by how you live? Do people in your family know that you're a Christian? Do you talk differently? Do you work differently? Do you serve differently? Do you love differently? Because if you can work in a place and no one know that you're a Christian, that's a problem. Paul says that you should be sticking out like a star in the night. 
the people where you work, the people where you live your life, is it evident that there's something different about you? And not just in how moral you are, but also how you live on mission and tell people about who Jesus is. What about your passions? Every lost person I meet, man, they're just living life. Their life is all about themselves or their kids. Are you different than that? Are you all about Christ and his kingdom? Jesus described us as a city on a hill that can't be hidden. If you look just like the culture, then how are you part of that city? How is that possible? Obedience is not normal. The last point this morning is this. Obedience is not uncelebrated. There's a double negative so we can keep the flow going. All right. Verse 16, the second part, it says, Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. You ever met somebody that really likes to talk about how awesome they are? Man, that is, that is annoying, right? But it's always really annoying when that person really doesn't have anything to boast about. And they're just talking about how awesome they are, and as they're talking, it's really not that awesome. When it comes to obedience, we have nothing of ourselves to boast about. 1 Corinthians 1.26 says this, Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You are weak. You are foolish. You are insignificant and nothing. How's that for encouraging? I bet you're not going to see that on the New York bestseller list. A book about being nothing. There's nothing about you to boast about. Nothing. Yet... God still works in us and through us. So we boast in him. We celebrate the work that he has done. We rejoice in that. We get together every week. That's what we're doing here today is rejoicing in the work of God. And as people come and they, their lives are radically changed by the gospel, we celebrate that. We rejoice in that. And we should rejoice in that. Not because we are anything, but because God is everything. Think about the testimonies of the people in our church. Testimonies of change. 
There's so many. There's no way we can list them all. But just in the past couple of years, we've seen testimony videos from people. We've seen people like Jose and Brittany, and we, we hear Julian's testimony. We hear stories about like Danny and Lauren Whipple and how God restored their marriage. We hear stories about Ryan and Kim Lostick. And, and there's so many, many more people in our church who God has radically changed their lives. And we as the church should get super pumped about that. We should get super excited about that. We should celebrate that. None of these people have anything of themselves to boast about, but they have all, they all have something to boast of God about. And this is true of all of us. If you're a Christian this morning, you have a story of change. You have a story of change. And it may not be that your story of change is as radical as others, but that's still a story of the power of God in your life. This isn't a change that you facilitated. It's a change that God facilitated. Man, that's something to boast about. We celebrate that. What God is doing here at Fellowship is awesome. Not because anyone here is awesome. None of us are. But because God is awesome. So how do we celebrate? By boasting about God. We tell our neighbors we tell our coworkers, we tell our friends, we tell our families, anybody that'll listen. We drive people crazy because there's something excited inside of us that's just so excited about what God is doing. That should be true about you. If God has changed your life, if there's a desire inside of you now to pursue obedience, that's a big deal. That's not some passive thing. That's, that's a big deal that God has changed your heart and that should excite you and, and lead you to want to tell anybody that'll listen about what God has done in your life. We stand on the mountaintops and we proclaim the goodness of God. Obedience is a result of faith. When we really trust in the Father, the result of that trust will be complete abandonment, not nominal obedience. We live in this culture where nominal obedience is accepted, but it's not biblical. The old just go to church and try to be a good person thing, that's not a biblical model. It's not obedience that is a result of real genuine faith. That's what the Bible teaches. What does obedience look like? It's not dependent on circumstance. It's not something we can take credit for, but a product of the Holy Spirit within us. It's not done with, uh, with, with the wrong attitude. It's, it's not normal within the culture. It's something to be celebrated. Is obedience something that marks your life? Do you really believe this stuff? I think it's important that we all spend some time and really acknowledge that. Because it can be really tempting just to continue on living in life totally unfocused on how we choose to live. Man, is that a dangerous thing to do. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That does not mean that we should not be secure in our salvation. But what it does mean is that we should definitely evaluate if our salvation was real. We should definitely evaluate if there's any fruit in our life. We should definitely evaluate, is there obedience? 
Because if there's not, if there's no desire for obedience, then it's likely that there's no genuine faith. And it's genuine faith alone that brings salvation. Is obedience something that marks your life? And again, we're not talking about nominal obedience. We're talking about total surrender. Laying it all down for the glory of God. Do you trust that God's way is better? Are you enticed by this culture? Culture says self first. God says others, others first. Culture says pursue happiness. God says pursue his glory. Culture says your mission is to enjoy life. God says your mission is to make disciples. Who are you going to trust? Where is your faith? Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? As you wrestle with those questions, whether you've been a professing Christian for a day or for 50 years, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As you wrestle that question, is there fruit to your faith? If the answer to that question is no, Man, it is so important that you figure that out. You don't have to figure that out alone either. We would love to have a conversation with you about that. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to help you process and think through that because there's no, no thing more important than a, a person surrendering their life to Jesus. So if that's you, if you're wrestling with these questions and, and doubting, man, did that do I truly surrender my life to Jesus? I just don't see this fruit. There's no obedience in my life. If that's you, then, man, please come down so we can have a conversation with you. In a moment, the band's going to sing. There's going to be a couple of people standing down here in front. They would love to talk to you about this. For those of us in here who are believers, there's, there's always this draw away from the things of God. We've talked about the fact there's a difference between missing the mark, sinning, and lawlessness. Lawlessness is complete rebellion, saying, I don't, I don't want the things of God. I'm going to choose to live my own life. That person has no relationship with God. But then there are people who have a relationship with God and they struggle with temptation and sin and fail often. And that's true of all of us who are professing believers in this room. So I think it's important for us to recognize that as we, as we fail in this obedience thing as believers, that we understand what, what strengthens us to obey is the Spirit of God living within us. And so this morning, if, if you've been in the, this point in your relationship with God where there's just been this, this struggle to obey, then my challenge to you would be to, to submit yourself to the Spirit 
to in this moment repent of that sin, repent of that disobedience. Ask God to forgive you and to change your heart. There's going to be altars down here. As the band sings, however God's leading you this morning to respond, my challenge to you is to submit to that, to surrender to that. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it convicts us and challenges us. God, we thank you for opening a pathway for obedience for us, that you, that you can change our hearts and put a desire within us to surrender and follow in obedience. God, we pray that, that we would be a people that are marked by obedience, that we would stick out in this culture, that we would be radically different from the world that we live in. That we would stick out like stars in a black sky. I pray if anyone here doesn't know you, if they've never truly surrendered to you, that in this moment they would be bold enough to come down and grab these by the hand and ask for some help in that. God, for people who this morning who are just struggling as believers to follow in obedience, God, I pray that you challenge their hearts, challenge my heart that we would allow this conviction to, to change us. We would surrender to you fully. God, we pray that you, your spirit would move in this moment. Jimmy pray. Thank you so much for listening. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.